Uh, gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us and challenge us and be with us. Lord, we pray even now that you would be opening up our eyes that we might see you in new ways and opening up our ears that we might hear you speaking to us and opening up even our lives that we might be a people who can be changed. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here and we pray that you would help us respond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard invites us to imagine a certain young person who idolizes an outstanding baseball player. They want nothing so much as to pitch or run or hit as well as their idol. So what do they do? Well, when they're playing, they try to behave exactly as their favorite baseball star does. The star is well known for sliding into bases head first, and so the teenager does the same thing. The star holds the bat way up over their head, and so the teenager holds their bat way up over their head as well. The young person tries anything and everything that their idol does, hoping to become more like them. They buy the same shoes. They wear the same gloves. They, they use the same bat. Of course, is that all that it takes in order to perform at that elite level? Of course not. Because it's not just what the star does in those few minutes that they're playing. It's also the years of training and striving and struggling and working. Not to mention the decades of practice as they tune their bodies, develop their skills, hone their reactions so that they can play at that elite level. And on top of that, there's the rest of their daily, weekly, seasonal regimen that no one sees. Some of these daily habits may even seem silly to us, but the successful athlete knows that his disciplines must be undertaken and undertaken rightly, or all of these natural talents and best efforts will go down in defeat to others who have disciplined themselves in preparation for the game. In other words, it's not enough for our youth to simply mimic the flashy, showy, invisible parts of the star's performance. But much more than that, you have to also prioritize the hours in the gym and the hours being coached and the hours working on all of the other little things that then bring out your best and make you who you aspire to become. In other words, again, if you want the life of the baseball player, you have to be willing to adopt the lifestyle. Because it's not just what happens in the moment in the game, it's what happens in all of those other moments that allow you to play. Which frankly is a lot like what we've been talking about throughout the, this series. In our current sermon series, we are looking at the lifestyle Jesus leads in the hope that we can have a life more like His. As I read at the beginning of this series, we read the stories of Jesus, his joy, his resolute peace through uncertainty, his unanxious presence, his relaxed manner, and how he was always in the moment. And we think, I want that life. We hear his open invitation to life to the full, and we think, sign me up. 
We hear about his easy yoke and soul deep rest and think, I want that, I need that. But then we're not willing to adopt his lifestyle. We want the life, but we're not willing to adopt the lifestyle. And so in this series, we're taking a deeper look at that lifestyle, more specifically the disciplines that Jesus practices as a part of that lifestyle. Alas, for too many of us, there's just no room for us to add anything else into our lives. Our lives are simply too full, too stuffed, too busy. Sure, sure, I'd love to pray more or study more or serve more, but my life is so full, so stressful, so loud that all of these extra things just get pushed aside or forgotten or drowned out. But that being said, there's another type of discipline. Dallas Willard calls these disciplines of abstinence, where we take something away. So we think silence or solitude or fasting, frugality, sacrifice. Because our real challenge might be that our lives have simply become too cluttered too crowded, too comfortable. I wonder, could these disciplines help us to live the lifestyle of Jesus better if we were to take some things out? And so during this season, or during this series, we're going to look at these spiritual disciplines as we also then look at some of the disciplines of engagement, some of the ones that are often paired together. Sometimes fasting and prayer go together, sacrifice and worship go together, solitude and study. But with that, and as we prepare for that, let us turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, Verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set 
you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. Okay, we talked about this passage a little bit a couple of, I guess, months ago now, Good Friday, but we come back to it today because I want us to look at it from a different angle. I want us to talk about this passage through the lens of the disciplines. But before we can do that, let's look back at a few things as review. The context of our passage is the Passover festival, more specifically the Last Supper, where we get communion, which we'll celebrate in a couple of minutes. <coughs> Excuse me. In the Gospel of John, this also begins a five-chapter discourse sermon prayer that Jesus has with His disciples during this last meal. And it's really the start of the second half of the Gospel of John as He focuses on the last few days of Jesus' life. In other words, this is a huge deal for our Gospel writer John. This was kind of one of the big points he's making. And all of it begins with this moment. More than that, this all begins framed in the context of love, as He loves His own to the end. And then, as the meal gets started, it begins with this odd incident. Jesus, their rabbi and teacher, their, their Lord, God's Son, punctuates and illustrates all that He's been saying, all that He's about to be doing by becoming a servant, humbling himself and choosing to wash their feet clean. Notice it's not just that he serves them, but he sacrifices for them. This was a dirty and disgraceful act, and yet he does it to show them his love. Now, of course, some of the disciples balk at this. Peter, in particular, wants nothing to do with this, not least because we don't like to be served. And not most, even because it was improper and shameful for Jesus to behave in this way. And so Peter puts his foot down. But Jesus reminds Peter that this is how we have a part in Jesus. And so Peter relents. Afterwards, when Jesus is back at the table, he reminds them he has done this to give them an example of what they are to be about. They and we are becoming a people of service, a people who look for ways to serve, a people who are servants. This is how we are different, and this then reshapes who we are and how we interact and, and even face the world around us. But now we can dig a little deeper. Because we want to look at all of this in the context of the disciplines. And that said, I will admit that in some ways this sermon's going to break our mold of these disciplines uh, of abstinence, removing something from our life. Because in some ways the discipline of serving is, is not totally a discipline of abstinence. In that we aren't really removing something from our life because in order to make this happen, you're going to have to add, we're going to have to prioritize this time of service. 
And yet, from another point of view, this then also has the power to strip stuff out of our lives as it reshapes our busyness and our priorities and our schedules. In other words, the discipline of serving might be able to free us from our hurry and our depression and our selfishness and our pride. I'm going to say that again because I think it's important and I don't think we often recognize this. The discipline of serving might be able to free us from our hurry and from our depression and from our selfishness and from our pride. And so I want us to take a look back through our passage through the lens of service as we look at the act of service, as we look at the posture of service, and finally the fruit of service. Act, posture, and fruit. And we begin simply with the act of service, because the reality is that at the most basic level, we're talking about doing the work of serving another person. And let's also recognize that Jesus didn't have to serve the boys. He didn't have to wash their feet. He didn't have to put them first. He is Jesus. He is God. And yet He did. He chose to serve them. And let's recognize that this would have been a job taking off each sandal, dipping each foot in the basin or maybe dipping his hands and then washing, scrubbing each foot, getting in between each toe, getting off all the mud and the grime and the dust and whatever else they've been stepping in, and then drying each foot with the towel that's wrapped around his own waist and then putting each sandal back on. That would have been a lot if there was just one person, but there was 12 of them. This would have taken some time, which maybe helps us recognize Jesus wasn't in a rush. He was present and intimate with them. What's more, let's remember whose feet Jesus is washing here. These are tax collectors and fishermen and zealots. These were everyday followers who aren't, weren't always good at following every day. These were doubters and deniers and betrayers. In other words, these were people just like you and I. And Jesus washed their feet. Jesus served them. More than that, this was the example that He said, that He calls us to. We are to be the kind of people who serve like this. This is how we become more like Jesus. That being said, as we dig deeper into this kind of service and really look at the discipline of service, we need to step back and remember some things that we've seen in all of the other disciplines thus far. Namely, we recognize that just doing the discipline is not always enough because it also matters how we do it, even the spirit that is behind the disciplines we do. As we've talked about, there's a difference between the discipline of silence and forgetting your phone at home. That those aren't the same things. You're like, like, hey, it's quiet because I can't find my phone. That's not the discipline of silence. That just means you, you forgot your phone. There's a difference between the discipline of fasting and missing a meal because you're too busy. 
those are different. There's a difference between the discipline of solitude and just feeling lonely. And the difference is that in all of these disciplines, we're looking for and listening to and trying to be with God. And that makes all the difference. The discipline of silence is getting away in order to listen. The discipline of fasting is recognizing that we need God more than we need this meal. The discipline of solitude is recognizing that God is with us even as we get away from everyone else. And that's not to say that there aren't other benefits to all of these practices, but we're doing them for God and to God and because of God, and that's what changes them. The discipline of service is no different. It's nice if you are one who serves, if you are a good deed doer. That's a, that's a great thing. That's admirable. Certainly better than being a selfish, lazy bump on a log. But the discipline of service, like all of the rest, is transformed when we recognize who we are serving and how we are serving and why we are serving. Because, of course, we're really serving God. And as we recognize that, we find and even encounter God through our service, which then starts to change us. Alas, for too many of us, we look at service as just one more thing that we have to do, or at least are supposed to do. And therefore, if we are doing it, it's out of guilt or fear or obligation. But that takes something away from the spirit of service, doesn't it? Because service is supposed to be who we are. Service is then what is shaping us. Service is an outpouring, an overflowing of God in our lives. In other words, it's not supposed to be something we do in order to feel good or avoid feeling bad. It's who we're becoming. But there's a deeper change that I think Jesus is pushing us toward. Namely, that we are not just to serve sometimes, but we are to develop a posture of service. Because Jesus' point isn't that we should just wash each other's feet. I don't think that's what he's saying here. If he was, that would be how we do church all the time. I think his larger point is that we are to become the kind of people who wash feet. We are the kind of people who look for ways to serve. We are the kind of people who look for needs that we can address. We are the kind of people who look for ways where we can offer ourselves for others. You see, in many ways, it's the posture that's important. We're becoming a people who serve. We're becoming servants. As we recognize that there's a change in our posture, it helps us get away from the trap of, I already have served. Jesus didn't say after he washed the first set of feet, okay, good to go. Now you all, we're going to do a little exercise. Everyone get down and now you take it from here. Would have been way more efficient. Jesus could have said, I have now served, so I'm good. But he doesn't. Because I think he's trying to get us away from this idea that I have served. I've already done it. 
Remember a couple of years ago when we did the thing with that ministry over there? I, I, I did something. I have served. Instead, I think he's pushing us into a posture of service. As if we are to become a people who've served. And, and let's recognize that's not always the way we view service. I mean, sure, sure, I'll do it when I'm supposed to do it or when the need is so big that I feel guilty not doing or if I'm compelled for some reason to do it, but it's not my natural default, which I think why, I think that's part of why Jesus' teaching is so radical here because He's saying that this is the kind of people we're becoming. We are to become a people who view themselves as servants. That's our posture. And I think if we're being honest, we can see that this is going to take some work, that a change is going to have to take place inside of us, not least because for most of us, our default is to want to be served or at least to not want to have to serve someone else. Or maybe, I don't know, I, I think I, I can do some mental gymnastics here that I don't know if you guys can do, but it's not that I want to be served. I just don't want to do the work myself, and I want it to be done. I don't want you to do the work for me. I do not want you serving me. I just don't want to do the work, and I need it to be done. Now, again, that may seem like a little bit of uh, some weird gymnastics there, but I don't think I'm unusual there. Because, of course, for most of us, if someone you knew came to you and asked you, can I do your laundry or dishes, most of us, I think, would, would I mean, there's a little voice in the back that says yes, but, the, but your mouth would say no. But at the same time, if it got done miraculously, I think we'd be okay with that. Again, I think part of this is that we don't want to be beholden to someone else. We don't want to need someone else's help. We don't want to be that weak. We, we don't want to owe someone else something. We don't want to be embarrassed by the mess that we have need someone else to help us with, which might be what we see in Peter here. If you do this for me, I probably should do something back for you. Though strangely, that kind of gets to an interesting point. If our posture, though, if something has changed on our inside such that our posture is that of being a servant, if that's who we are, then regardless of whether you've done something for me or not, I still want to serve you because I am, have become a servant. In other words, it's not because I feel beholden to you because that you helped me that one time with the move and the thing, it's that I want to serve you because that's now who I am. I wonder if that would help us receive service better too. Which brings us really to the final point and I think the deeper change that is trying to take place in us. Because there's a fruit inside of us that develops because of service. The discipline of service changes something inside of us, and it helps us fight against our own selfishness. In some ways, service is one of the few tools that we have to, to kind of deep pride ourselves or reset ourselves or humble ourselves. 
Because the reality is that we know, I mean, hopefully we know, that at our core we are selfish. The other day I was rereading a section of one of my favorite books on marriage, and in it the author writes this, in Western culture today you decide to get married because you feel an attraction to the other person, you think he or she is wonderful, but a year or two later, or just as often a month or two, three things usually happen. First, you begin to find out how selfish this wonderful person is. Secondly, you discover that the wonderful person has been going through a similar experience, and he or she begins to tell you how selfish you are. And third, though you acknowledge it in part, you conclude that your spouse's selfishness is more problematic than your own. It's normally how that works. And if it was only true of marriage, we'd almost be okay. But of course, the reality is that our selfishness runs deeper than that. And the more we see it, the more we just find it oozing out of our pores. And there's not much we can do to fight it, with maybe the exception of this discipline. When we serve, it can start to work, to, to, to work on getting that out of us, or at least lessening us ridding us of some of our pride and our haughtiness and our arrogance and our resentment. Because serving allows us to put someone else's needs first. It allows us to put someone else's needs before our own. It allows us to value someone else more than ourselves. And in the process, our selfishness becomes just a little bit less. That being said, you got to watch out because in trying to combat pride with service, you can quickly go from feeling like I used to be the greatest and then I started service and now I am the best at serving. I am the greatest because of how much I serve. So there's a trap even there where pride just likes to get a hold of us. You can end up right back where you started. But as we practice this discipline of serving, I think it begins to change us. It makes us more humble. Andrew Murray writes in Humility, humility is the distinguishing feature of discipleship. Humility is the distinguishing feature of discipleship. And I think it's what we see here in this passage. I think it's what Jesus is calling us to. As we serve others, that discipline does something in us that allows us to get out of the way and allows us to love better. Because remember, this whole passage starts in the context of love. Jesus doesn't serve out of guilt or obligation or duty. He does it because He loves these disciples. He loved His own, and He loved them to the end. And as an outpouring of that love, as a means of that love, He then serves. Maybe that's the important part. Jesus loved them, so He served them. He served them, so He loved them. Of course, He does the same for us, which may be why we should then do the same for others. 
Let's pray. Lord God, we, we confess to you that we don't always want to serve. We normally don't want to serve. We have a, a good selfish streak inside of us, which we normally keep hidden, but it, it's there. We want things done our way, at our time, the way we want, as soon as possible. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would help us become more like Jesus, that you would help us to practice the discipline of service, that you would remake us from the inside out, making us servants like Jesus. Or there's no part of this that's easy for us. Even the idea of being a servant rankles us a bit. But it's how you showed your love. Lord, help us to show your love like that. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.